stress, anxiety, and depression are skyrocketing among children and teens. And Cook Children's Healthcare System is on a mission to bring these topics into the light. I'm Winnie King. And I'm Dr. Kristen Perch. If you have kiddos in the room, now is the time to put on those headphones. Some of the topics we'll be discussing will not be suited for young ears. This is Raising Joy. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Raising Joy, the podcast that's going to lift you up. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to (laughs) try. I'm Winnie King. Um, I am the Senior Vice President of Communications, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Cook Children's, and I am joined by my genius cohorts. Co-host. Oh, I don't know about that, sis. I don't know. Genius. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. With the cute shoes and the summer toes. Yes, baby. Yes, yes. My name is uh, Kristen Perch. I'm a child psychiatrist at Cook Children's Hospital, um, and we work together. And Yeah, and we're, you know, trying to inform people about things that are going on in the community and and how they can handle some of the their mental health and particularly that of the children. Um, you know, we've experienced in the last year or so um, um, people who are have, have been in our community who have attempted and have completed suicide. Um, it's not always uh, an easy topic, but it's a topic we really need to face and deal with because it's happening so much more often than I can ever remember. Um, and we have to remember that when we're looking at people who have attempted and completed suicide, it doesn't always mean that they show a face. They don't always show, um, you know, the things or signs or signals or stuff there may, you know, maybe in, 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 you know, looking at it at, at some point later, they may, you know, you may see, I I should have caught that, but most times you're going to find that it's very, looks can be deceiving. Mm -hmm. Looks can be deceiving. And just because you're uh, successful and you're a great person and you, you seem to be, um, you know, all of that to everybody, Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that you're not struggling. And it doesn't mean that, um, you know, there couldn't be something going on. So we just kind of need to unpack some of that. And the good news is we have somebody who's going to help us kind of unpack um, what could be going on. Um, And and I hate to even think about why people do it, because Mm -hmm. it is different for every individual. And I know as human beings left behind, that's something we always try to do. We always try to figure out, but why? You know, I don't know why. I don't know why. And sometimes just coming to terms with that is just what you need to do. Come to terms with that and then come to terms with what you need to do for yourself. 100%. You know, do what you need to do for yourself. Um, Today, we have joining us uh, Dr. Kia Carter. She's back. <laughs> Thank we, you. We didn't scare her the last time. <laughs> I'm shocked. I might have bribed her to be here. <laughs> and you may remember her from an episode we recorded last month with uh, Chaplain Cameron Brown. Um, and we're just so happy that you're here to help us walk through mental health and what we need to do. Yep. Dr. Carter is the medical director for inpatient psychiatry at Cook Children's, and she oversees our inpatient unit, which has about 15 beds, and it is located in the Reese Jones Behavioral Health Center. So welcome back to Raising Joy. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. For those people who don't remember or who need or hearing for the first time, tell us your background and, and what you do at Cook Children's and how that presents every day. 
So my background is is that I'm actually an adult and child adolescent psychiatrist trained. Um, All psychiatrists who do child and adolescent are always trained in adult first because it's important for us to know how to handle adults. And then we work backwards to handle children. And when we treat children, we're treating the whole family. Mm -hmm. We're not Mm -hmm. just treating the child individually. So I always like people to understand that. Um, I have been a child psychiatrist for a little over 10 years now. um, And I've been at Cook Children's for about six years. And as Dr. Pert said, I am on the inpatient psychiatry unit, as well as oversee the consults on the medical floor. And that's usually when kids um, are admitted for medical problems, Mm. maybe surgery or diabetes, but also have comorbid psychiatric concerns. So our team will also go and address their anxiety or their depression while they're receiving medical treatment. Wow. So that's a combo. Yes. So they're getting something physically. We're dealing with something physical. And then we're also dealing with something mental. Yes. And sometimes actually the mental is affecting the physical. Mm. Yes. So it's important that people realize that as well. So that's why it's important that we're there and we're able to assist the medical team because sometimes psychological factors play a role in their medical factors not improving. Mm. Right. I mean, like we know anxiety exacerbates pain, depression Mm -hmm. exacerbates pain, Mm -hmm. like all of those kind of things. And so, you know, treating the whole person can help everything get better, Mm. Mm. you know. People don't do that in adult medicine. I can tell you for true. <laughs> and nobody's ever said we need to treat the whole of you because I don't think anybody would want to do that. <laughs> I think that would be a challenge. I mean, they, but they do. I, I guess there are places that do, but I've never experienced that. Okay. <laughs> but hopefully we're moving toward that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, hopefully. Like hopefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Dr. Carter, um, as a parent, and we're both parents and as we all know, like we're very good friends. So, you know, we have those things that our kids say to us and we don't know how to respond. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. they like it just stops us dead in our tracks. And you're like, your brain is like, oh, my God, what did you just say? Um, kind of a thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like and sometimes it comes out like maybe you're arguing with a teenager about like taking their phone because their grades are failing and they're yelling and they're like, I don't want to be alive anymore. Or they will say something along those lines, or you realize that they're posting pictures on Instagram of them cutting or something like that. So what would you say Mm. when a child says something like they don't want to be alive anymore? Like what kind of like, what would you so do? We always tell parents remain calm. So like you just said, stops you in your tracks. You're shocked, um, especially when a kid just yells it out and you've never heard them say it before. So I think as a parent already mentally preparing yourself for difficult conversations, just like any other difficult conversation we may have to have with our kids as they progress from childhood to adolescence, making this a normal. We want to empower parents to feel that mental health is normal. It's a normal topic we address on a day to day basis. And so preparing yourself that if my child is struggling, how am I going? to stay calm and address this so that they don't see me react. We model our behaviors for our children. So if we overreact, our children probably will react the same way we do. So we want to show them that even in a difficult situation, Mm -hmm. mom, dad, grandma can stay calm so that we can help you get through whatever you may be going through. Is Okay, so you don't want to overreact, but can you underreact? Because I would be saying, (laughs) Mm -hmm. child, quit being so dramatic. Stop it right this second. Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. might want to say that, Mm -hmm. which is kind of not validating, but Mm -hmm. saying you're you're being a drama queen. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes to parents not um, preparing for having difficult conversations Mm -hmm. because parents can get frustrated or if they think their child is overreacting, like you mentioned, they may downplay it or ignore it. And what I tell families is that anytime a child says they want to die, 
even if it's for attention, even if it's for behaviors, or if it's true, we want someone to assess it. Mm. We don't want it to end in on the other side where your child is no longer alive. So regardless of why you think they're saying it, it's important for you to even ask about it in a calming manner so that you understand more about it. So you need to take it for true mm-hmm. that it Absolutely. very well could happen. Right. And my advice is like they like a kid says something that you're shocked by and you don't know how to respond. Take a breath and ask a question. Mm. And it would be like a calm question, like Dr. Carter was saying, like, well, what do you mean by that? Or like, why what, would you say that? Like what? Mm-hmm. What? And, and not like, why would you say that? Yeah, like, yeah, not yeah. not yes. accusatory, but yeah, like, yeah. like mm-hmm. with like calm and curiosity. And it's hard because internally you're freaking out. Mm-hmm. Like you are panicked. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. my child just said this. What do I do? I don't yeah. know. This wasn't in the handbook. Mm-hmm. But like you, you know, like, like stay calm ask a question and let that buy you time to figure out what you want mm-hmm. to say next mm-hmm. or like what your mm-hmm. next step is. Mm-hmm. And you might get some information out of that question. 100%. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. That leads to another question and trying to get more information. So. Yes. Mm. And, and I think too, if you're like Dr. Carter was saying, if you stay calm, it like you can have that conversation. Right. And, you know, like, right. as opposed to like, if you escalate it and you're yelling back at them and you, you know, like it's, that never goes anywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and everyone. that might be the mm-hmm. signal. Okay, I really need to take this mm-hmm. down. I mm-hmm. need, yes. That's a signal to me to kind of say, okay, let me see how we can mm-hmm. do this. It sets the precedence, though, for future difficult conversations. Because mm-hmm. if you show your child that they can talk to you about something difficult, mm-hmm. they're likely going to return and talk to you again if something, something else happens. Different. If you do react in maybe a not supportive way, they're probably going to avoid speaking with you next time. Mm-hmm. So. That's another important. I, I see that a lot um, in my practice because, you know, I ask all of like any kid that is depressed or anxious, like, hey, are you having any thoughts about like not wanting to be alive or have you had any thoughts about like wanting to kill yourself? Well, and if they said yes to like um, and and OK, well, yes to this part, but no, you know, like, well, if it became where mm-hmm. you did mm-hmm. want to kill yourself and you had a plan, like, what would you do? Yeah. And they'll say um, you know, like maybe I'll tell my friend, I'm like, okay, well, but could you tell an adult? And they're like, no, I don't really feel like I could. Well, could you tell your mom? Because she's here and she seems like she loves you and cares about you a lot. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, she would freak out, you know? And mm-hmm. so it's like, okay, the, you know, that's something that we have to kind of work Your's on and third. things like that. <laughs> and so, but, so it does like a, a parent freaking out, you know, from a place of anxiety and being scared and not knowing what to do, like does impact those future conversations mm-hmm. like Dr. Carter was saying. So what if you, ascertain that you you really think that this is a serious threat now what where do we go so if you get to the point where your child says i don't feel safe at home i want to hurt myself by this means or this way i cannot remain safe in our home then you have a couple of options. You can always call your pediatrician because that person is prepared for this. Most pediatricians are asking our children these questions when mm-hmm. they come for their well child visits. Um, they usually have resources or they'll have a social worker or a nurse that the family can speak with. Your school counselor, they're a very direct resource. Most of our kids spend most of their days at school mm-hmm. compared to with their parents. And our school counselors have many resources on places to get evaluations. They also are trained in screening for suicidal thoughts mm. and seeing the severity of that child. If it's midnight or, you know, those places are closed, you are always able to take your child to an ER. Most ERs have a ER physician that's always there. They will have access to a social worker or a intake worker who does psychiatric assessments mm-hmm. and usually have access to a psychiatrist at Cook Children specifically. Mm-hmm. We do have a psychiatrist on call 
every day to be able to support our ER when these children may present with these signs. Mm. And then that way, you know that your child is getting that immediate help they need and you don't have to worry about them overnight or through the weekend Mm -hmm. um, if you can't access their pediatrician or their school counselor. What does a physician in the ER have to see or experience that would make them say, you need to stay here? Well, and it's usually the, the way we say it is an imminent risk to themselves or to anyone else. And mm. what that means is, is that if a child is saying they don't feel safe to be at home, even if they don't have a plan, but they say, I don't think I can, like Dr. Purse said, tell my family if these thoughts come back, we get really worried, especially if they've had those thoughts before. And that's usually a red flag that they need inpatient admission. Mm-hmm. Um, if a child is having thoughts to hurt anyone else, that's also normally a reason for psychiatric admission as well. Mm-hmm. And then there are other things that kids get admitted for maybe due to aggression or due to psychosis. Um, mm. But usually suicidal thoughts, um, homicidal thoughts or aggression are big ones in a child population that get admitted to psychiatric units. And I think it's also important to know that like in the emergency room, the real goal is a safety assessment. It's to figure out what, like, mm-hmm. is this child safe to go home with resources to follow up on? Do they need to be admitted to the psychiatric hospital? Like we're like, it's not going to be like they don't do therapy in yes. the ER. They don't mm-hmm. like we're not going to adjust medications in the emergency room because, you know, like we only have a small part of small like window into like what's going on and they need a full outpatient assessment. So I sometimes people do come to the emergency room for resources, but I think that there are better, more efficient ways for them to obtain that information without having to like sit in the ER for four hours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Any idea how many people we probably just off the top go through the ER and then come admit it? I mean, just give me a neighborhood. I know I sh- shouldn't have asked that because you would have wanted to be prepared for it, but just, I don't know, a lot of kids come through here, 20%, 30%, I don't know. That come through the ER. That come through the ER and then are admitted. I would probably say about 40%. Usually, okay. I mean, if, even if they're not admitted to our inpatient unit, they're getting admitted somewhere somewhere, somewhere else. Um, hopefully that schools and pediatricians offices are, they're doing a much better job at being able to assess these risks so that families don't have to come to the ER. Right. So when we get those referrals or we get those calls, it's usually pretty severe. So I, I feel like over the years, the more kids that are presenting to the ER are usually needing admission um, oh. compared to, you know, maybe three or four years ago, we would get more outpatient resources or we can't, we don't know how to find therapy, but now it's our families don't have enough available in the community to support them that the ER is actually used as their first level of treatment because they can't access a therapist or they can't get to a psychiatrist um, or the family can't navigate the system through their insurance or whoever on knowing how to find that. So I feel like when we see the kids in the ER within the last year, they're pretty sick and they're ready. They're at the point where they're ready to get help and they're telling their parents they're unsafe and it's usually leading to admission. Okay. Okay. And when you say they're unsafe in their own home, it's they're unsafe for themselves in yes. their own head. Yes. Well, and when I say unsafe, meaning the environment as well, because okay. they have access to things that they could hurt I themselves gotcha. with. Gotcha. And being in the hospital, we don't have any of that. So okay. most psychiatric units are made for safety. Yeah. So there's, there's so special, no butcher knives no, or oh, no. whatever. Oh, no. You know, no, no, no. The handguns or it's whatever. many things that you don't even think about, like the way the door handles are made or the way the curtains are made or the shower curtains. Like those are all breakaway. They're um, ligature free. So it's a, it's a big difference when you come to a psychiatric unit versus a medical unit. And most people wow. don't realize that. Okay. I did. So 
Yeah. So tell us, you know, Dr. Carter, we know that this is what you do like full time. So what's inpatient behavioral health treatment like? So, you know, once a family, you know, is told that their child needs inpatient admission for safety concerns, they're usually presented with options for inpatient level of care. At Cook Children's, we accept kids three to age 12 on our inpatient unit. And then if they're over 12, we have referral outside resources that we're able to transfer them to. Once they arrive, they usually do an intake assessment with the therapist um, and likely a nurse who's going to get all that history, what's been happening, if they have any medical problems, if they're on medications. So it sometimes can be a lengthy process and parents usually aren't prepared for that. So I like to to prepare parents that when you get admitted, it's going to take about an hour to two hours, depending on your child's needs and the questions, because we want to be as thorough as possible. We're dealing with children. So we do have a lot of questions. Um, after that, depending on the time of the day, the child will transition to what we call kind of our day room or programming. When kids are on psychiatric units, it's not like sitting in a medical hospital. They don't sit in their individual room, in their individual bed and kind of watch TV or do fun things. They are in <laughs> therapy most okay. of the day. I say that because yeah. Some people don't realize that psychiatric units are very different than a medical floor. Right. Um, and so kids are rarely even in their rooms when they're on our unit. So they are in programming the entire day from 8 a.m. until about 8 p.m. Okay. They're in group therapy. They're in recreational therapy. They're art therapy, um, visitation with their parents. Mm -hmm. um, everything is based on a therapeutic management. And then they will see a psychiatrist on a daily basis, as well as do family therapy probably two to three times a week mm -hmm. um, when they're in the inpatient hospital. Mm -hmm. um, we do do some support for families like parent trainings or if there are things that we feel like we can support the parents we have parent management training that parents can come to two times a week where one of our staff will sit down and kind of walk through what happens if little Billy does this again at home right. or what else can we do to help little Billy when he gets frustrated or can't use his coping skills. So that's usually about kind of the extent of what an inpatient stay consists of. And then the biggest thing is, is when kids leave the inpatient unit, we want to set them up for success when mm -hmm. they leave. Mm -hmm. um, so we try to get them set up with an outpatient therapist, an outpatient psychiatrist, or even send them to what we call a partial hospitalization program, which is a day program. Okay. So it's like being in the hospital, but you don't spend a night. You go there between 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. on Monday through Fridays and you still see a psychiatrist and you pretty much do the same thing you did inpatient except you're safe to go home. You're telling us that I'm not going to go home and grab this object to hurt myself mm -hmm. or hurt anyone else, but we still want them to get the treatment they need and mm -hmm. maybe that means managing my medications, mm. continued family therapy, mm -hmm. different things like that. So that will sometimes also be our discharge plan. Right. How long are they usually there on inpatient? So most kids are on inpatient for about five to seven days. Okay. And I always tell parents this, this is not set. This is not a set date because they get stuck in their head a little bit. Like, okay. no, little it's a Billy's, week. It's over. Yes. <laughs> yes. He's not Come ready home. to go. So it depends on how your child's doing. If your child's not doing well, or we're still changing medications or they're still endorsing that they're unsafe, we're not going to discharge them. They could be there for seven days. And if we don't feel that they're safe to return home, they will not go home on day seven. Mm. Mm. Okay. Got it. And, so sometimes what happens whenever people come into the emergency room, our intake folks will explain the different levels of care and like what the recommendation could be. And I think a lot of parents struggle with inpatient treatment because unlike the medical floor, they like the kid stays there overnight and the parent goes home. And so I think for a lot of parents, they really struggle and they're like, oh, we well, we don't want to do that. We want to do PHP. And so but we say that's not really safe mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. then they're going to be home in this environment with all of these things that they could use to harm themselves. And they have this plan. But, you know, I think 
parents kind of understanding that. And I get where it comes from. Like it would be really hard Correct. to have a kid that's struggling and be okay just giving them you away. Know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if that child was in a car accident and had injuries, you don't want to just bring them home. You right. want them to stay there so that mm-hmm. they can get better. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And I tell parents, you know, give it a day when we have parents that are um, concerned or if I'm on the unit or I'm there staffing the case with the ER. Sometimes we will discuss with the parents. How about you come up here? You let your child kind of start some of the programming, see how they like it. And then I think once they see that their child is safe, that their mm-hmm. child feels happy, they're getting help. It's usually a relief for the mm-hmm. child mm-hmm. Um, when they get there. Wow. Then it's usually more comfortable for a parent to walk away and say, OK, I know they're OK. I'm not just abandoning my child. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's kind of we're we're asking parents to give up total control of their child um, while they have to spend a night on our unit. They don't get to see what they do. They don't necessarily have control over their eating and sleeping. Mm-hmm. It's a whole different change. So I always tell parents, just try to give it a day. Just mm-hmm. give it a day. Let's see how things are going and then reassess after that. And then giving up that kind of control. As a parent, it may say to me, oh, my gosh, I'm such a horrible parent. I haven't done. This is my failure. In having to give over to somebody else because I haven't done my job well. And and I remind parents that mental health is a medical illness, just like diabetes or like you said, in a car accident. Mm-hmm. So when your child has those medical problems, you allow the team and the doctors to help them. And so we need to really look at mental health as the same thing. Sometimes we need a little extra help. We don't want to continue to give the message that mental health is something we control or we are responsible for. We don't cause our own depression. We don't cause our own feelings. Sometimes it's genetic. There's family histories where if mom or dad has depression, the genetic disposition for the child is likely to have depression as well. It may be completely out of the parent or the child's control that the child needs help. And I try to explain that to parents, just like the kid didn't get diabetes on their own and maybe it was genetic. So Mm -hmm. we treat it like we need to treat it. Mm -hmm. And so I remind parents like this is a medical problem. This is not a behavior. This is not something that your child just decided to be suicidal. Like they're struggling with something. Mm. Yeah. Like your eight year old did not just choose to be sad. Mm-hmm. Like I promise. Yes. Like yes. and something that we like talk about a lot on the unit is like kids do well if they can. Yes. And like giving them the benefit of the doubt. And so it's like, okay, well, like, you know, if they are suicidal, if they are depressed, you know, like what are the factors that are contributing to it? And it's multifactorial. Like it's mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. like it's not just at home. Like kids spend eight hours a day at school. So mm-hmm. like what's going on there? Are they being bullied? Are they like what are their friendships like? What are their grades like? Is math really hard? Are they like worried they're going to fail the star test? Like mm-hmm. all of mm-hmm. like you, you like being on the inpatient unit, you have mental health professionals that give a full 360 view and address as best we can, all of those extra things that contribute to how a kid's feeling. Mm-hmm. And it's a, I meant to say it's an interdisciplinary team approach. Mm-hmm. So right. we all meet every day as a treatment team, which includes myself, our nurse practitioner, our insurance um, ladies, our nurses, mm-hmm. our family therapists, mm-hmm. our nurse managers. Like we're all there because we all see the children at different times mm-hmm. and we can kind of piece our puzzles together to get the whole picture. Right. So I want to make sure I highlight that. It's just not a doctor there. Right. It's an entire team who mm-hmm. we get to assess and we see this child 24 hours a day mm. where we're monitoring their sleep, their eating patterns, their energy. So we get to really make a good assessment of right, them. Right. What's going on? Um, there's a lot going on here, but there aren't enough beds. There can't be. There just cannot be enough beds to take care of all of the children who are walking through who need that kind of care. Um, what, what is it? 115? How, how many beds did we say? 
we, we have 15. 15. I we said 100. 15. Oh, my gosh. Ooh, <laughs> we have 15. Hallelujah. I thought you meant in the DFW area. <laughs> yeah, that's, 15. That's, so that's, that's probably right. more like it. So yeah. 115 okay, but, in the DFW area. But 15 DFW at area. Our, in our, only in our hospital. And we're seeing a bunch of kids coming in and out of there. Mm-hmm. So I know that you've talked to the legislature about this. You've testified before folks and said, hey, we need some more. What What do we need? What What's the deal? You know, I, I think people want the answer to be we need more beds, which I'm not going to say that we don't need more beds. But my stance is completely different being an inpatient physician. We need preventative care. We want to prevent mm. them from needing admission. Mm-hmm. And that means the services being available in the community so that they don't get to the point where they're no longer safe. Most of our kids, if they were able to access the actual services that they needed, mm-hmm. maybe a month or two ago, they likely wouldn't need inpatient admission. Mm. But because we don't have enough therapists, enough psychiatrists, um, enough availability in the community, it results in them needing inpatient. So my stance is completely different. I'm not saying we don't need more beds because we can benefit from more beds, but we need to work on what's happening in the outpatient setting because the goal is least restrictive. That's always in psychiatry, we want Mm -hmm. the least restrictive care for the child. And if they can do outpatient services, that's what we want them to do to be in the home with the family. Absolutely. Well, and two, you know, whenever they leave the inpatient unit, Mm-hmm. I know you're magical. <laughs> like, absolutely. I mean, like, one. <laughs> she, she's got it. But like in a number of ways, but like they're not magically better. No. Correct. So, you know, it's a long road. Like mm-hmm. I would love for a kid to be better and whole and happy whenever, By the time after, they leave. after seven days mm-hmm. of treatment. But it's mm-hmm. it it. You always say, like, listen, this is not a problem that started seven days ago. Yes, yeah. I do. Like, you know, like it's going to take a while to get mm-hmm. all and of in this. In that seven days, you've pretty much uncovered, though. You may mm-hmm. have you may have uncovered yes. the problem, mm-hmm. but we really haven't necessarily totally addressed it. Correct. Right. And and I think the benefit, the, the big pull for inpatient is safety. Yeah. The goal is to make sure your child is safe when they leave the hospital. That doesn't mean they won't be depressed or they won't be angry or sad or anxious. That just means we've gotten them to a place where they can communicate their feelings better. They have better coping skills to deal with those sadness and they have a plan if they become suicidal again, how to communicate with their parents and different things. That's really what inpatient is. It's not an end all be all. We're going to fix your child and they're going to be better tomorrow. It's to make sure that they're safe to return home to start doing the hard work where they have to do therapy and family therapy and go back to school and maybe approach bullies or deal with the star test. Like that's when all the hard work happens. Mm. Being in the Mm -hmm. hospital, we kind of take all that stress away so we can uncover those true symptoms and true feelings. So we know how to address it, but we have to prepare the child to get back to their normal life. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's what that's the goal, right, is for them to be happy, healthy, meet their full potential. Like that's that's ultimately our goal. So, you know, if a, if a kid, if a parent is maybe their kid isn't saying I, I don't want to be alive anymore, but they're they're just so concerned, like they've noticed things kind of starting to go downhill. Maybe it's hard to get them out of bed in the morning, hard to get them to go to school. You know, like what what do you think a parent should do if they're like worried about their kiddo? So I think the first thing they should do is make sure and assess for safety as long as their kid is not making any safety concerns and then make an appointment with their pediatrician. That's their that's kind of our first line person um, to kind of assess if the safety concerns are to assess, Okay, no, they're not suicidal mom, but they do need counseling. And then that way they can give the parents some resources about counselors or we can help them find their counselors that are covered in their insurance um, or even sending them to one of our kind of outpatient clinics or therapy clinics, like deciding that. And again, the school counselor, if this during the school year, 
I I personally utilize my child's school counselor all the time. She's like, why are you calling me? I do, I do. And so, um, You're the psychiatrist, I, why are you calling me? <laughs> I'm, I'm, can we trade numbers? <laughs> so yes, I mean, that, they're a great resource. My sister's a school counselor, mm-hmm, and so I have a mm-hmm. great con- understanding. And so they're a great resource for that first line when a parent is like, little Susie's sad. She doesn't want to come to school, but she's saying she's not unsafe. So then having the school counselor kind of do some work and assess and Mm -hmm. kids tend to do better talking with strangers rather than with their parents. And so when they go to counseling or speak with their school counselor, they may open up a little more and you get the idea of actually what they can, you know, benefit from. Mm -hmm. And I think early. Yes. Early. Mm -hmm. It's hard being a parent. mm -hmm. It It is so hard. It's hard being a parent. It is, it is really hard. And, and I think a lot of parents avoid avoid making the appointment because no one wants to think of their kid as being depressed or no one wants to think of their kid as being sad. Again, guilt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you just mm-hmm. don't want like you just don't want to think about that. But, you know, like make the appointment early. It's going to take, unfortunately, probably months to get in. And so, you know, like if the if the situation resolves and the kid gets better, then cancel the appointment, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but like go ahead, like get yourself on wait list. Like when you start to get worried, like it's really important. You know, this is such a heavy lift for you, for both of you. I mean, it's a heavy lift every day, day and out, you know, coming in, watching the people with their problems, with their issues. How do you go to work every day? <laughs> I love going to work every day. I um, I have a great team that I work with, though. So I depend on my team to help me because I'm not there 24-7 to see the child. And that actually is helpful for me because that motivates me to know that someone has my back. Someone is going to be able to assess something or pick up on something that I could have missed. Mm-hmm. I enjoy working with families um, in the in the crisis moment just because I enjoy not knowing when I'm coming into work the next day. I don't mm. know what I'm going to see mm. when I go to work tomorrow. And mm-hmm. I enjoy that because I think I... Um, my purpose is to serve families in acute need. I've always enjoyed the ER, psychiatry, enjoyed mm. inpatient. Mm. And so that helps me get up and go to work because I know someone is there that needs my support or that needs my help um, to get through their day. And that uh, kind of helps me. Well, I really enjoy helping people. And mm-hmm. I think that helps me feel okay. better as well. Walk in your purpose. Yes, yes. exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and, yes. and for those of you who are listening, if you see her work... <laughs> I mean, you know, like, do you mm-hmm. know whenever you see someone mm-hmm. who's doing do. exactly what they're supposed do. to do? Yes. That is yes. what it's like watching Kia yes. or Dr. Yeah. Carter yeah. on the Indigenous yeah, Unit. Like, is. this is like, or I've read books that talk about like zone of genius and that's mm-hmm. like, she is in it. You know, like, and, honestly, like you use all of your gifts and talents. Like it's, and, it's incredible. And it's not meant for everybody. No. Like me. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> because the burdens for me yeah. are really hard, uh-huh. you know? And so it's, it's, it's not my, like, it's not. Like what I'm, like yeah, it's not what strength. I'm here for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like, it's really, I think it's really fantastic that, that she is part of our team and that that is her passion because it yeah. is really hard, but yeah. she's, she does it every day with like grace, brilliance, mm-hmm. like compassion, okay. all of the things. Do you think about self-care for yourself? Absolutely. I mean, I, um, when I'm not at work, I'm not at work. I have a great okay. team that okay. I su- that supports me, like I just said. And so I'm able to take a step back on the weekends or when I'm not working and enjoy my time. I enjoy spending time with my daughter. We mm-hmm. do any and everything together. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I enjoy spending time with my family. So mm-hmm. I make sure that I do that because that's kind of like a refuel mm-hmm. um, to give me that support and just motivate me in, in places outside of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then self-care, just doing the things that 
that help me? Whether mm-hmm. that be exercise, which I'm trying to get better at. Same. So are taking it. a walk or I, I like that. listening to water. It's like what anything that I know yeah. is going to kind of refuel me and help me relax. Um, and then being there for my daughter. And yeah. that's huge for me. Yeah. I love the walk. The walk with music is mm-hmm. like the center of the universe for me. But not right now, right? No, no, no. Well, no. in the morning, early <laughs> okay. in the morning or really late. It's I mean, but in the long. morning, you know, but that in the in the morning with with music and just walking in the sunlight. It is like I get it. OK, now I can solve I can solve it all. It really does do something. Music's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, lo- I love that. Wow. Well, thank you so much for joining us yet again. We didn't scare you. you. No, 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 no. Thank you for having me. (laughs) And to our listeners, uh, please join us next week as we talk to Dr. Frank Sloan from Cook Children's about how we can support our LGBTQ youth. And we look forward to that conversation and many more. And as always, please leave us a rating and subscribe to get Raising Joy podcast directly downloaded to your phone each week. Until next time, just breathe. Open up. You matter. matter.